Welcome to the Preaching Podcast. I'm Paul Robinson, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, the The message today has to do with the glory of God, and I did want to tell you that actually the um, this message as well as the next message, both of them are going to have to do with the glory of God. And you know what? I feel like that's something that churches in general, just pastors don't preach about the glory of God much, right? And, and it's really sad because if you read the Bible, there's a lot in the Bible about the glory of God. And unfortunately, a lot of seeker-sensitive churches today, and, and just, just your average church, they, they tend to focus on, uh, oh, uh, your best life now, and, you know, uh, God loves you, and blah, 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 and uh, here, here's how to have a, how to have a, you know, comfortable life, and to, here's how to feel good. I mean, it's just a bunch of feel-good messages. And it's really terrible, you know that? It is, because a Christian life is a life of sacrifice and hardship. It, it is not a comfortable life, and it, we, we stop all the feel-good messages. Anyway, so what what pastors don't preach on today is the glory of God. Hey, let's talk about how awesome and glorious God is. And so the message today is about the glory of God, and you're probably familiar with Isaiah chapter 6. That's what it's about today. Isaiah saw the glory of God, and it changed him. You know, so I'm, I'm real excited. So without further ado, here's the message High and lifted up. Have you ever seen something amazing that just, you know, took your breath away? Something that just, you were in awe. You were like, wow, I can't believe it. It's just, just incredible. Uh, you know, I think of uh, when I was very blessed to be able to go to my senior year. We took a senior trip to New York City, and I finally got to saw in person the Statue of Liberty. And, you know, everyone's seen the Statue of Liberty. Pictures, you know, pictures and movies and things. You see the Statue of Liberty, and it's, it's one of our national landmarks and a very, very incredible statue. It's huge. Um, and, and, and yet seeing it in person was far more uh, amazing to be able to stand there and look up at it and uh, it, it was incredible, and I, and I loved it. And, and being able to see it there was, was something that I, I will never forget. And uh, you, you probably have the same thing where there's something you saw that it was just incredible. And, and you know what? Maybe even it was even better than what you expected. It, it was even better than what you thought it would be. Well, in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah, he saw something amazing. And uh, it didn't just take his breath away, though. It changed his life completely. And we're going to look at that tonight for ourselves and, and see exactly what's going on here. That This account will show us four simple yet powerful points. So just four simple points tonight, and we're going to get right into it. The first point is tragedy. Tragedy. If you look at verse 1, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. All right? So, King Uzziah, you know, he, he had been actually a, a pretty godly king. He was a godly king. And under his leadership, the nation had prospered both economically and militarily. Well, as a result, almost everybody, they had a prosperous life. They were prospering. They were thriving. They were happy. They were joyful. Things were good. Everything was great. But something happened. Later in, uh, later in life, Uzziah did something terrible. If you remember, he usurped the priest's 
office, which was forbidden. Only the priest could go in there and offer sacrifices, and he was like, nope, I can do it, I'm fine, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. And for that, God struck him with leprosy. And because of that leprosy, uh, King Uzziah had to live in isolation for the rest of his life. Uzziah's death was a turning point for the nation. An era of prosperity was over, ushering in an era of sin, wickedness. Things would never be the same. And you know what? It is often in times of tragedy that God chooses to show his glory in some way. God wants to break through in your life, suffering through a tragedy. He, he wants to show you his glory. And this doesn't mean that God made the tragedy. Simply that he can work in it or through it. You know, God can use the tragedy, not that he made it. Uh, only God can bring glory out of tragedy. Amen? We can't do that. Uh, we, we really can't. But God can. God can make something beautiful out of something uh, seemingly just, just awful, just terrible. God can make something beautiful out of it. In John chapter 11, one of Jesus' closest friends dies. And uh, this is, of course, Lazarus. If you want to turn there, I quickly turn to John 11, because I want you to see what Jesus says about this tragedy. Here's Lazarus. And actually, this news that Jesus gets, first he just gets the news that Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is sick. Uh, Mary and Martha say, Lazarus is sick. Lord, you need to come heal him. Come heal him. But notice what Jesus says, John 11, verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Wow. And, and we, we know the story. Lazarus does die, and, and yet Jesus, uh, Jesus has a plan. <laughs> you know, Jesus goes there, and Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's in the tomb. And Jesus says, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. And he just he, uh, raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus walks right out of there. And, uh, and because of that, many people there believe on Jesus. So what Jesus did was he, he, uh, he used that tragedy. He used that tragedy. He brought glory out of tragedy, something that was terrible and awful, and yet he uh, was glorified in the midst of that tragedy. And, and it really is amazing that God can do that. He still does do that today, and he can do it in your life as well. And Isaiah entered the temple that day. He was depressed. He was sorrowful. King Uzziah was gone. It was at this time, this exact moment, that God broke through. And don't ever doubt what God can do in the midst of a tragedy. And so maybe you're here tonight and you just recently have experienced some kind of tragedy. I don't know what that might be. It might be a, a, an illness, a death of a loved one, whatever that might be. You know what? The Lord can still be glorified in the midst of that tragedy. Let me encourage you. And, and we're, we're uh, so, so tragedy is the first point, okay? Tragedy, that's how it all started. King Uzziah dies. But I want you to notice tonight, secondly, glory, glory. Now notice, uh, verse, uh, back in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now he goes into describing what he saw. 
And what a sight to behold. This vision was exclusive to Isaiah. Only he saw it. I'm sure there are other people in the temple there, but they were just going about there, you know, just temple duties. And it was just Isaiah who saw it. God allowed him to see just a glimpse of his throne room. There was God on his throne, high and lifted up his train. His train would be his royal robes. They were majestically covering his throne. Creatures called the seraphim, they flew around crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen? The whole earth is full of his glory. Now these creatures, they had six wings. Two covered their face, symbolizing that they were unworthy to look upon God. Two covered their feet, symbolizing that they were never to rest or stop worshiping God. And two were used for flying, to uh, circle the throne of God. And their entire purpose is just to glorify God, is just to sing praises to God, is just to say, holy, holy, holy. Three holies. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All are holy. All are God. Oh, but that's not all. We also have the smoke. The smoke of the incense filled the temple, making the entire atmosphere even more terrifying and even more awesome to behold all that smoke. So, so can you picture it? Can you picture it? In your mind's eye, see that, that uh, God sitting on that throne, the seraphim flying around, the smoke filling the entire place. What a sight to behold. How incredible that is. The glory of God is truly something amazing. Uh, now, we cannot make it appear. You know, we can't, you can't just make the glory of God appear. God must choose to show it to us. But even then, he can only show us a glimpse. Because if God were to show us his whole glory, it would overwhelm us and it would kill us. And, you know, we can't handle it. We can't handle the glory of God. The question is, do you want to see God's glory in your life? Do you want to see that? In Exodus 33, Moses is talking to the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. The nation has just committed a grievous sin with the golden calf. Moses goes to the tabernacle and the pillar of cloud stands at the door. All right, The pillar of cloud symbolizing the presence of God. Uh, Moses goes into the tabernacle. The pillar of cloud then uh, rests upon that tabernacle. So God was speaking to Moses. The Bible says, face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. They were speaking face to face. Now, it's very interesting. Uh, Moses here was very bold. And he asked God a question, a very specific request. He says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. You know what? When was the last time you prayed for that? When was the last time you said, Lord, show me your glory in my life? Well, we don't often pray for that, do we? Because we're so busy praying for ourselves. We, we, we tend to pray selfishly for our own needs and our own wants. Now, God understands that we, we have to pray for ourselves. We have needs we pray for. But many times, that's all there is to it. We're just too busy, focused on ourselves. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves. We need to ask God to be glorified. We need to say, Lord, please, 
Be glorified in my life. God, show me your glory in this situation. God, I want to see, God, I want to see your glory in this tragedy. I want to see your glory in this decision. I want to see your glory. Let your glory be in my marriage, my family, my work, my ministry, my thoughts, my relationships, my witnessing, whatever it is. Ask that God's glory would be in it, that God would be glorified. You know, I think God would love to answer that prayer. God would say, oh, I'd love to show you my glory. God would be so glad that we are concerned for his glory, not just for our own. And you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes when we pray and we're asking God, Lord, can you give me this? God, can you do this for me? God, can you fix this situation? We ask for that because we are more concerned for our own glory. We want the glory. And God says, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to give that to you because it's all about you. When's the last time we prayed and it was all about God? It was all about His glory. Boy, it's hard to do that because we're very selfish, right? And we have to admit it. We have to admit it, right? I'm very selfish. I pray for the things I want. And we have to be very careful. We have to desire to see God's glory. And I, I, I think many times we don't see God's glory in our lives. Uh, we, we're not really thinking about God's glory. We're only thinking about our well-being. And we need to stop. We need to, we need to get our minds back on the Lord. You know, it's very interesting that Isaiah went into the temple that day. He, he wasn't thinking that there was going to be a breakthrough in his life. He wasn't thinking that he would see the glory of God. He wasn't expecting that. You know, he's just going in there just like every day. And then God broke through. And it changed everything. Uh, and, it changed, and in fact, uh, that's my next point. What will happen when you experience the glory of God, number three tonight, is change. Change. Notice, starting in verse 5. Then said I, so Isaiah is speaking, Woe, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then, of course, when the seraphim uh, comes and he, and he uh, touches his lips with the coal and he says, he says to him, Lo, this has touched thy lips, thine iniquity is taken away, thy sin is purged. So here's Isaiah repenting. He's repenting of his sin. He's repenting of his sin. You know what? When you see the glory of God in your life, it will change you. This was probably the moment when Isaiah got saved, but it doesn't have to be salvation. The change can be something else. Whatever it is, it should result in humility and repentance, seeing God. H.A. Uh, Ironside explained it like this, and I quote, The effect of beholding God is to make one realize his own unworthiness and the corruption of his own heart. Isaiah saw himself in the light of Jehovah's infinite holiness. It is ever thus when man is brought consciously into the presence of God. Now just think about that. Being brought into the presence of God. Being aware of the infinite holiness of God and aware of your wickedness, your sinfulness. Wow, I am unworthy to be in the presence of God. Look how, look how awesome God is. How incredible. His, his majesty, His glory, His holiness. And I am, I'm really a worm. I am wicked and sinful. 
it allows you to see, when you see God for who He is, you see yourself for who you really are, how sinful you are. Now, we see this in the Bible. With uh, Here's a few characters. We have Job. When Job saw the power and majesty of God, he said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's Job 42, verses 5 and 6. So here's Job. He's just gone through this huge ordeal. He's lost just about everything. And those last few chapters of Job are very powerful as God, God steps in. He's like, I've heard enough of this. I've heard enough of these people just, just debating about me. And God steps in and God asks all these questions to Job. Who made Leviathan? Who made Behemoth? Who does this? Who does that? And, and you know, God is truly uh, unmatched, right? And so he asks all these questions and Job says, well, what can I say? I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes because I've seen, I've seen God. I've seen the glory of God. Truly incredible. Also, if you remember Peter, when Peter saw Jesus' power over nature, uh, if you recall where, where Jesus says, hey, just uh, throw the net over there, you'll catch some fish. And Peter's like, well, we've, we've, already, we've already been fishing. We've been fishing all night, Lord. It just, but okay, all right, I will. And then he did it, and the, the nets are breaking, and they've got to come help us, and they've got to pull it up. And, and Peter saw the glory of God. Peter saw Jesus' incredible power. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and he exclaimed, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter saw his sinfulness. He saw the power of God. He saw who Jesus really was. And he saw his sinfulness. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Uh, take your Bibles, look at, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18, when we're talking about the glory of God. It's such a great verse right here. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here we are. Talks about... Uh, beholding as in a glass. In other words, it's just like seeing a reflection. We see the glory of God, and in this life, we cannot see the full glory of God. It would kill us. So what we're seeing in our lives is just a reflection of that glory. It's just a glimpse of that glory. But as we witness the glory of God, it changes us. Because you cannot see the glory of God and be the same. It will change you. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory. In other words, from the glory of this life, because we do get to experience some glory in this life, the glory of God, we are changed from the glory of this life to the glory in heaven. Ultimate glory. Uh, in fact, ultimate glorification. We shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is, and we shall be able to worship God for all eternity. Total glory. And so, there needs to be that change. We have that change, and we see that change in Isaiah. We see him seeing, seeing the glory of God and saying, woe is me. I, I am sinful. I am wicked. 
And, and there should be that change in our lives as well. When we see the glory of God, we, we witness the glory of God. And you know what? I, I can't even explain exactly how God might break through in your life, what God might do in your life to reveal his glory to you. I really can't. It's not a cookie-cutter experience. But uh, you'll know it. You know, God will break through, and you'll know it. You'll see the glory of God in your life, and you'll never be the same. It should change you. It should change you in that we can... Uh, Go from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, we've seen tonight tragedy that King Uzziah died. Tragedy in his life. But we've also seen the glory of God. What an amazing thing that is. And we see that change that takes place in Isaiah. But finally tonight, number four, we see service. Service. If you look at Isaiah, uh, go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. So he's witnessed all of this, and he has uh, been purged of his sin. And then verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? So God's calling out, Hey, I need someone. And then said I, Here am I. Send me. He's volunteering. I will go. I'll do it. Uh, do, you remember, do you remember that Right after you got saved and how excited you were for the Lord and you were on fire for the things of God, you had to tell everyone that you're saved and you were so excited and you'd do anything for God. That is that passion uh, right after being saved. And most likely that's what we believe here with Isaiah. This was his moment of salvation. He was so excited. And you know what? He wanted to serve God right away. He says, I'll do it. I will go. I will go. And so when you see the glory of God, it will change you. And guess what? You'll want to serve him. You'll want to serve God. After all, if God is so glorious, then there's nothing greater than worshiping Him and serving Him. You know, think of the apostles. After seeing the risen Christ, they were more than willing to give their lives to spread the gospel. And every one of them, except for John, except for John, every one of them died a martyr's death. They were happy to give their lives for the Lord. And if you think about it, that actually is a glorious thing as well. For them to lay down their lives and to die for Christ, that is a glorious death. Amen? That's a glorious thing. Glorifying to God. And if you don't desire to serve God, then you know what? A change needs to happen. If you say, I don't want to serve God. I don't want to do anything for the Lord. No, I just, I just want to, you know, just live my life and just do whatever and blah, 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 blah. You know, a change needs to happen. Something is wrong. You need to see God high and lifted up. You should have a, a volunteer spirit, as I, Isaiah did. You know, every person here can get involved in some ministry at the church. We have plenty of ministries. It might be the soul winning department, the music department, the youth department. Why, you could even help by cleaning the church property. Amen, Brother Rudy. Church property. We, we want to we, we serve the Lord. You should have a desire... To serve God in some way. You should have a desire to serve. He is your king, your master. Now take your Bibles, look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4.12. Colossians 4.12. And I want you to see right here, uh, just one of the many servants of God. Here's a servant. Someone who faithfully served the Lord. Colossians 4.12. This was Epaphras. And it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, 
a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So here's Epaphras. It says here, he's the servant of Christ, and it says he was laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now, how many of you know that um, prayer is a lot of work, right? It's not easy to, you know, always spend. It, it takes time to pray. It takes energy to pray. So prayer is a lot of work. Here, here he was praying fervently for the Colossian Christians. And we also find Epaphras in other epistles of Paul, where Paul mentions him, and he's always got something good to say about Epaphras. Epaphras had the heart of a servant. Epaphras wanted to serve. Epaphras was the kind of person, if you said, all right, we need help tonight. We got to clean out the, uh, pull the weeds in the church parking lot. Epaphras would, would say, here am I, send me. I'll do it. I'll serve in that way. And we need to have that same spirit, that willingness to serve, that willingness to serve the Lord. And you know, I'm very concerned when I see Christians who, they don't want to serve. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to go soul winning. They don't want to come to the prayer class. They, 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 don't want to do, they don't want to do anything. They just want to come to church. And that's it. And uh, there's, there's something wrong. There's something wrong if you don't have a desire to serve God, because we're all called to be servants of Christ. We're all servants of Christ. We can all do something. And you know, that's, of course, uh, that's what the Apostle Paul talks about when he talks about the body of Christ and that every member of the body has an important function. Every member of your, your body, your, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your fingers, your toes, every part of your body is important. And if you don't believe that, then just, just wait until one of them is not working properly and you'll realize how important it is, right? Every part. And it's the same with the body of Christ. Every member in the body of Christ is important. Don't ever think that you're not important. Okay, the church needs everyone. But we need to all be serving the Lord together. So we've seen this amazing account in Isaiah chapter 6 of the glory of God. If we look at this account... What is the focal point of this account? Well, it's not King Uzziah's death. It's not Isaiah. It's not even the change in Isaiah or his volunteering for service. The main focus is the Lord on his throne, high and lifted up. That's the main focus. It is the awesome glory of God that causes Isaiah to repent and then volunteer to serve. It is the glory of God. Nobody twisted his arm. Nobody said, Isaiah, well, we really need someone here. We need a prophet. No, it was the glory of God, the awesome glory of God that caused him to see. He saw God for who he was. He saw himself, how sinful he was. And he repented. And then he volunteered. And so it is God on his throne, high and lifted up. Uh, take your Bibles, look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want to show you just some other verses here about God, high and lifted up, and how important it is that God, uh, well, just some other verses, and what they have to say here, what the Bible tells us about the glory of God. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Well, now if you see that every tongue should confess that he is Lord, it sure sounds like no one is more important than Jesus. It sounds like no one is above Jesus. He's at the very, very top. And there's going to come a day when every person, every creature, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every person will bow to Jesus and confess Jesus is Lord. Even the devil himself will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. Boy, I want to see that, don't you? And so Jesus Christ is the King. He is the Lord. No one is above Him. Also look at Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18. Referring to Christ, it says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Wow, you know what? Preeminence? That doesn't mean prominent. That doesn't mean, you know, he's on your list and he's number one on your list. No, preeminence. It means he's the only one. There, there is no competition. It's just Jesus. He deserves complete glory. He deserves complete, he deserves your exclusive worship. You don't, you know, you, you hear about missionaries who, who go over and they, uh, they witness to these uh, these. Uh, pagan people, heathen people, and, and they're used to worshiping gods and idols, and he, sometimes they'll, they'll uh, receive Jesus, but they'll add Jesus to their other gods, you know, they'll be like, okay, hey, Jesus, that's great, yeah, that's great, we'll just add him to our other gods, no, 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 you don't add Jesus, okay, you don't add him to your list of gods, Jesus is the only one, he desires your exclusive worship, your, the, the exclusive glory goes to Jesus, he is preeminent. You know what? We live in uh, interesting times. Amen? And you know, I've seen a trend today. I've noticed this. And uh, the trend is probably people my age, people, you know, millennials. Uh, but the trend is to call Jesus, uh, to view Jesus and call Jesus as your, your friend. You know, and I see that a lot. Jesus is my best friend. I love Jesus. He's my closest friend. And you know what? That's that's good because Jesus says in the Gospel of John, he says, I call you friends. Jesus said, I am your friend. He should be your closest friend. But he shouldn't just be your friend. That, that's not probably the best view to have of Jesus because he's far greater than a friend. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for your sins. So it's very dangerous, I think, sometimes to just view Jesus. Oh, he's my friend. He's my buddy. He helps me out. I think that's a terrible trend that we see today. We need to see Jesus as the Lord of glory, as the Lord God, as our Savior. It's so important to have the right view of Jesus, high and lifted up. God the Father exalted him. God the Father exalted him. He says, this is my son. And one day, every knee will bow to him, every tongue confess to him that Jesus is Lord, high and lifted up, exalted. And so we need to be careful to keep the right view of God, to keep the right view of Jesus. 
Why isn't there, you, you know, you might be asking, well, why isn't there any change in my life? Why isn't there a change in my life? I live day to day, week to week, month to month, maybe year to year, without seeing real change in my life. Boy, that sure is sad. That sure is sad when Christians live like that. No lasting change. It's just same old, same old. Why is that? Well, it's because we don't see the glory of God. You're not seeing the glory of God in your life. Why don't we see the glory of God? Because He is not high and lifted up in your life. You've taken God and you've made Him common. You've put Him down with everyone else. You've made going to church just a habit. You've made reading your Bible just, if I have time to read my Bible, I, I guess I'll read my Bible okay. If I have time to pray, I guess I'll pray. You've taken God and you've made Him a common thing. You have not exalted Him in your life. He's not high and lifted up. You've taken Him down. You've taken, he's low in your life. And that's very sad today when we take God and we bring Him down to our level and we make Him just another thing on the to-do list and another common thing to do and we, He needs to be high and lifted up in our lives. We need to take Him. We need to exalt Him back on the throne. I wonder, what is it, some of you tonight, what is it that has dethroned God in your life? It could be a person. It could be sports, entertainment. It could be yourself. Maybe you are on the throne. You've dethroned God and you've put yourself there. And you care more about your ambitions, your dreams, your purpose, your goals, all about what you want. And you've moved God off the throne. And God is saying, boy, I sure wish I could show you my glory, but I'm afraid it's too, uh, you're too busy enjoying your glory, basking in your own glory. We really don't have any glory of ourselves, do we? And so we need, to, we need to take God and put him back in his rightful place, high and lifted up. We need to exalt him, put him back on the throne. And that means whatever that is, that idol, that thing, or yourself, your flesh, it's time to get it off the throne. It's time to repent of it. In his book, Awe, Why It Matters to Everything We Think, Say, and Do, Paul David Tripp recounts an event with his son, and I quote, listen to this. He says, I remember taking my youngest son to one of the National Art Galleries in Washington, D.C. As we made our approach, I was excited about what we were going to see. He was decidedly unexcited. But I just knew that once we were inside, he would have his mind blown, and, I, and he would thank me for what I had done for him that day. As it turned out, his mind wasn't blown. It wasn't even activated. I saw things of such stunning beauty that brought me to the edge of tears. He yawned, moaned, and complained his way through gallery after gallery. With every new gallery, I was enthralled. But each time we walked into a new art space, he begged me to leave. He was surrounded by glory, but he saw none of it. He stood in the middle of wonders, but was bored out of his mind. His eyes worked well, but his heart was stone blind. He saw everything, but he saw nothing. Wow. Could it be that we don't see the glory of God in our lives because 
We've blinded our hearts with selfish ambition and sinful pursuits. We've become used to a life of doing religious things without any lasting change. Like Isaiah, we need to see the Lord high and lifted up. Like Moses, we need to ask God to show us His glory. Do you want to see the glory of God in your life? I mean, that, that's a uh, convicting thought. Because if you see the glory of God in your life, you might have to make some changes. You will have to make some changes. And it sure is sad when Christians don't want to change. When Christians say, oh, I, I'm used to the way things are, you know, just don't upset the, don't upset the cart. I just, I, I'm happy with my life, the way things are. I've got my plans, I've got my schedule, everything's in its place. And yet God is out of place. God is not on his throne. Do you desire to see the glory of God in your life? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to dethrone some things in your life so that God can be on the throne again? Don't be content to live a life without the glory of God. Don't live like that. Don't be like that. Live with the glory of God in your life, shining God high and lifted up. Put him back on the throne. That's where he deserves to be. Amen. Let me ask you, have you seen the glory of God recently? And I know that's a sobering question. But you know what? We live our lives. And we live, we, we, just, we just tend to live for our own glory. And we, we don't see the glory of God in our lives. And, and there's something wrong. You know, there's something wrong. God should be high and lifted up and exalted in your life. He should be. That's where he deserves to be. God deserves to be on the top. Not the middle, not the bottom. He deserves to be on the top. So are you exalting God in your life? Is he high and lifted up in your life? That is a, a great challenge for all of us, myself included. That's a great challenge. And once again, um, the, the next episode of the Preaching Podcast will be another message on the glory of God, and I'm really excited because that message will also challenge you. All right, so thank you so much for listening today. Now let me encourage you, head over to paulrobinsonbooks.com because I've got a page there dedicated to my brand new book coming out on May 19th, and it is entitled Unlikely Heroes. It's about the judges, but it is different from any book I've ever written. And be sure to go there and find out why, okay? So May 19th. Uh, you do not want to miss it, and so please go check it out. Also, on my website, you can sign up for my email newsletter. Please sign up for that email newsletter. What I do is I send out the newsletter every other week. That's twice a month, and that will keep you up to date with, of course, the podcast, but also uh, articles that I'm writing and information and news and news on my books and let me let me tell you something i just want to tease this i i am lord willing i'm hoping to get a whole bunch of books out before the end of this year and i've i've got some big plans so uh it's not like oh this is the book for this year no there's going to be other books this year and i'm really excited um I'm, I'm always writing something you know i'm i'm always writing a book so that's the way i want it to be i'm always writing a book and I just want to get out as much as possible. So so please sign up for the email newsletter. And, and once again, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please let your friends know. Tell your friends. Uh, let them know about it. And uh, I know it will be a blessing to them as well. 
Thank you so much for listening. I'm Paul Robinson, and until next time, God bless you.